Metro-Golden-Mare turned the Wizard of Oz into a screen classic and a lovely little singer into a star. One of the most talented stars of Hollywood, Judy Garland. Someday I'll wish upon a star And wake up where the clouds are far behind me Where troubles melt like lemon drops Away above the chimney tops That's where Hey, Judy fans, this is Mindy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Old Time Radio. Next up in our series featuring Judy Garland is her appearance on The Bing Crosby Show. This one was March 21st, 1951. It is appearance three in a four-show series that Bing had her on. And just at the end of the one before would say, she would say, who's your guest next week? And he's like, how about you? And She's like, great, sounds great. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like I said, we got uh, we got four here. This is number three. And this one has Les Paul and Mary Ford. Now, I knew who Les Paul was long before I started listening to old-time radio. I, I really had never heard of Mary Ford. It, it probably in passing, and it just didn't register as anything in my brain. But, man, this woman's voice is just enchanting. I... I was, ah, stopped cold in my tracks listening to it. I absolutely love her voice. And they sing a couple of songs, but they sing How High the Moon. And what an inventive, creative song. I am going to have that as part of my <laughs> uh, probably music rotation when I run kind of deal. Because it's just fascinating. It sounds so interesting. They did a lot of creative techniques to kind of dub her voice several times on top of itself and of course it being makes jokes about this because it's all very technically advanced and just sounds fantastic and that particular song how high the moon was nine weeks at number one and when les paul and mary ford teamed up in the early 50s it was pretty much revolutionary very successful and in 1951 the year that we're listening to here they had more top 10 hits than Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, and the Andrews sisters combined. That's a pretty big accomplishment. So really settle back, enjoy, push, rewind 15 times. And yeah, Les Paul and Mary Ford. What a, what a nice, unexpected for me treat to listen to. And this is the episode where we get that one of that line that Judy is kind of famous for Judy fans pretty much know it well it's where she's pretty much joking about being fired by MGM and she just quips Leo the lion bit me and then they start joking about her being fired from royal wedding and it was a movie with Fred Astaire and she was replaced and you know I I've been in a pretty toxic work environment I've been in toxic work relationships, I have been fired from a job from that kind of environment. And I have to say that when you get to the point that you can joke about it in public with everyone who ever knew the situation, you are free and you are happy and things are good. So that was really knowing that she says that at some point, hearing it in the context of her building up for her concert series, and you can hear her joy and her energy is so great. And her singing is 
perfection to know that she's that happy that she can be joking about such a awful situation is just heartwarming and I, I felt a little camaraderie with her on that one it's like sister I've been there and I have made some jokes <laughs> so yeah this is a really great episode and I I think being in Judy they're all fun we get so many different variations types of songs types of skits and you know the different guest stars like the Mary Fords and Les Pauls come and go but you you get a good combination of all of those factors in this one and it it becomes something pretty special I really think this is a great one you're going to enjoy from beginning to end honestly so yeah a very happy and joking and free and exuberant Judy Garland on the Bing Crosby show from March 21st 1951. Well hello again this is Buck Benny speaking Welcome to a truly historic episode of the Bing Crosby Show. Uh, every once in a while I, I can bring you something that uh, is truly unique, and that's what we're bringing you tonight, just kind of a, uh, a overlapping of musical styles and genres that I wouldn't expect to be able to normally bring you. This is... Of course, Bing Crosby, old school, beautiful vocals, um, crooner, extraordinaire. We have, in her third week with us, um, Judy Garland, uh, young starlet, uh, amazing voice, amazing talent, and um, as we shared last time, making a comeback from uh, some drug situations and some um, uh, difficulties fitting into the studio system had just been uh, let go by her studio the previous year previous year from her uh, studio contract and uh, is on this show before she's about ready to go off to the United Kingdom and do some uh, wonderful performances over there to, to rave reviews. And on tonight's show, to add to that mix, we have Les Paul and Mary Ford, who were at the time pushing the bounds of what music was, introducing electronic sounds with the uh, electric guitar. And really, I I don't know how to describe what they were doing other than uh, rock and roll. It was the forerunner to what rock and roll would be. Um, rock and roll was not in existence yet, but uh, they definitely had all the pieces there. And just hearing the song, I mean, if you were to classify it, what would you classify it as? I would have to basically classify it as rock music. So uh, this is when, in this episode, old school meets new school, um, who knows, maybe it's the first time when uh, rock and roll music, uh, <laughs> I was going to say rock and roll and drugs kind of got together because you had um, Judy Garland who was having her drug issues and, and of course the uh, Les Paul and Mary Ford uh, doing the forerunner of rock and roll music, but um, just a amazing piece of history here 
with all of these folks together on the same show. And uh, I think you'll love Les Paul and Mary Ford's uh, performance here. They were uh, married, and um, they'd be married for the next uh, 14 years or so. And in the space of time from 1950 to 1954, they had 14 top 10 hits with their unique sound. Um, it, it's, it's a really different sound because you've got the guitar, multi-track guitars going on and multi-track vocals going on uh, from Mary Ford. So it's just interesting how they pull all that off. And a lot of that probably due to Bing Crosby and his uh, pushing for uh, folks to be able to transcribe things. I mean, this is the ultimate in transcription over and over and over again to have multi-part tracks and multi-layers of recorded sound. Um, anyway, enjoy this wonderful show, and we'll see you next time. For you, what every smoker wants, mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. By Chesterfield, Chesterfield, the one that proves its case. Yes, Chesterfields are milder, milder, plus no aftertaste. So hold, open a pack and give them a sniff. Then you'll smoke them. Someone waits for me. This is Ken Carpenter. Welcome you to the Bing Crosby Show for Chesterfield. Produced and transcribed in Hollywood with John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, Judd Collins for the Mayors and Bing's guests, those top recording artists, Les Paul and Mary Ford, and Miss Judy Garland. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this being the first day of spring, we bring you a budding young vocalist, Bing Crosby. Budding? Yeah. A budding young vocalist. Yes. Well, if I'm a budding young vocalist, spring's a little late. <laughs> May not show up at all. Oh, come hmm? on, Bing. Get in the mood. What mood is this? Why, as the mood? poet says, this is the boyhood of the year. <laughs> the time when winking maybuds begin to open their golden eyes. Ah, yes, Ken. And another poet said, I wonder if the sap is stirring yet. <laughs> and I do believe you are. <laughs> Bing, you remember this old spring poem? The bee buzzed up in the heat. Huh? I am faint for your honey, my sweet. The flower said, take it, my dear. For now is the spring of the year. So come, come, hum. You like that? A hum. <laughs> Leave us stash the poetry before the men in the white coats come for us, huh? You mean the guys from the booby hatch? I don't mean bus boys from the brown derby. Let's change the subject before we get oh, killed. Oh, I know an awful what target, I wanted. Hmm? I've got something to talk to you about. What? It's about the new rocket ship that's practically ready to go to the moon. Uh, I warned you, Ken, about reading those comic books. You're the type that gets carried away by such things. No, you know, no, lost... no. This is a real rocket. Really? A real rocket thing. Oh, mm -hmm. this terrific thing. What place? Scientists actually believe it'll reach the moon. What's this got to do with me? Well, it's like this, Bing. This rocket will carry two passengers. So what? Well, don't you see? Two passengers. Why, it's a natural. You and Bob Hope should make the first trip. Well, Hope will go anywhere, but you can count me out. <laughs> ah, but Bing, think of the publicity. Why, well, I can just see the headlines now. Crosby and Hope, zoom to moon. Zoom to moon, yes. Eh? Let me ask you something. What's that? How are we going to get back? <laughs> you 
can worry about that when you get there. But I want to tell you something, Bing. What? This rocket is the latest thing. Really, it is. Oh, what a way to go. <laughs> what a way to go is right. <laughs> Bing, I, I oh. just can't understand your lack of imagination, lack of spirit. Why, do you realize if you and Bob make this trip, you'll be the first people to bring Chesterfields to another planet? Mm, well, that's an interesting prospect, all right, Ken. I don't think you'll ever see the day, though, when Hope and I embark with a rocket load of Chesterfields for the moon. That is, not unless it's in our contract with Chesterfield. Well, uh, if I were you, I'd check. You may be leaving any moment. <laughs> <laughs> Before I do, I want to burst into a little song here. Our opening selection is recommended by Mr. Tubby Guerin, who put me in the business. It's a bright little thing titled You and Your Beautiful Eyes. And I know that the rhythm airs are gathering around. Listen, kids, now is the spring of the year, so come, come, hum, hmm. Ah, you and your beautiful eyes that tell such beautiful lies. When you start that hocus pocus, my things get out of focus. You and the way that you kiss They'd ought to give you a prize Baby, you could make a statue Come to life just looking at you You and your beautiful G But they're beautiful You and your beautiful eyes They'd ought to give you a prize Baby, you can make a statue come to life just looking at you You and your beautiful G, but the beautiful You and your beautiful Bing and kids. Me and the kids, thank you, Ken. Say, Bing, that rocket to the moon thing we were talking about a little while ago fascinates me. I wonder if there really are people up there. Well, Ken, if there aren't any people there now, there, there soon will be. Exploring? No, hiding from Senator Kefauver, I think. <laughs> Place will be full of Lamisters. But to get back to the earth, Ken, I think we'd better give the folks listening in the, the proof that Chesterfield has what every smoker wants. Mildness, Plus, no unpleasant aftertaste. Right, Bing. And, folks, we have the proof of Chesterfield mildness in over a thousand statements from tobacco growers like Mr. Douglas Crowder of South Hill, Virginia, who writes, I've been a tobacco grower for 20 years. When I judge tobacco for its mild smoking qualities, I smell it. If it smells milder, I know it will smoke milder. When I apply that same test to cigarettes, I find that Chesterfield is the one that smells milder and smokes milder. That's why I smoke Chesterfields. And the proof that Chesterfield leaves no unpleasant aftertaste is confirmed by the country's first and only cigarette taste panel. This group is composed of men and women who've been scientifically trained to be taste testers. Nearly all of them are members of scientific and professional societies, and many of them are authors of technical papers. These are the distinguished men and women who reported, Chesterfield is the only cigarette in which members of the panel found no unpleasant aftertaste. And there it is, friends, proof that Chesterfield has for you what every smoker wants, mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. Here's a new song, it's comparatively new. I did it a few weeks ago. It seems to have acquired a modicum of popular favor. I hear that sentimental music when I'm holding you tight. 
I heard it from the moment you came into my sight. Sentimental music coming out of the night, saying you're the one, you're the one. Only when you're near, I hear that sentimental music spinning round in my brain, fills the night with echoes of my favorite strain. Just one look at you, there's that haunting refrain, saying you're the one, you're the one for me, my darling. Is it magic? All the music coming from above. Yes, it's magic. The magic of your love. I know that when we're close together, or if we're far apart, funny how that sentimental music will start. Sentimental music. Round and round in my heart, saying you're the one, you're the one, darling. Can't you see you started sentimental music for me? Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present two sensational performers here, Les Paul and Mary Ford. Les is on the guitar, Mary does the vocal. They have some terrific records out, you know, which uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with some of them. Jealous and Tennessee Waltz, Mockingbird Hill, and they got a brand new one just come out called How High the Moon. That's the one they aim to do right now, I think. This is an unusual sound, folks, so don't miss a single note of it, huh? Thank you. 
Yes, sir, that was Les Paul playing about 12 guitars, Mary Ford singing about 12 voices. That's 24, that's a baker's dozen. Don't ask me how it's done because it has something to do with electronics. That's something I have nothing to do with, electronics. Well, say, Les, how about you and Mary giving us a little sample of Mockingbird Hill now, huh? Oh, Bing, we'd be glad to, but why don't you join Mary on the vocal? Me? Uh -huh. You think it'd be all right? Don't you have to plug me in or anything? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll just run you through the Les Pulverizer and you'll come out sounding like Fred Waring in the Glee Club. That might be too much. Maybe too big. Too much scope. Besides, I, I hate to muscle in on Mary like this on her number. That isn't right. Oh, I'd love to have you, Bing. How many voices do we do, Mary? Why don't you do three and I'll do three? Good. Les will do about 18 guitars. That'll really wrap it up, I hope. Mm -hmm. Incidentally, I think we might dedicate this number to the music operators of America. The jukebox folks, you know, who are now on convention at the Palmer House in Chicago. Uh, how'll they hear us in Chicago, Bing? Leslie, dear boy, this show goes coast to coast. <laughs> well, I'll be darned. We're in the big time, Mary. <laughs> yeah! When the sun in the morning peeps over the hill And kisses the roses round my windowsill Then my heart fills with gladness when I hear the trill of the birds in the treetops on Mockingbird Hill. Tra la la, twiddly dee dee, it gives me a thrill to wake up in the morning to the mockingbird's trill. Tra la la, twiddly dee dee, there's peace and goodwill. You're welcome as the flowers on the mockingbird hill. Ah, 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 ah. I'd like to present our next guest of the evening. In fact, our guest of many, many evenings. Miss Judy Garland singing a song about the tobacco country. Whence cometh those fine Chesterfields. This song is called Carolina in the Morning. In the morning 
could be sweeter than my sweetie when I meet her in the morning. Where the morning glories twine around the door, whispering pretty stories I want to hear once more. Really injured. That's thrilling. Isn't that a great old song? Yes. Uh, George, they wrote good songs in those days, didn't they? Strolling with my girlie where the dew is pearly early. That's really good. Buttercups <laughs> all flutter up and kiss each little buttercup. Isn't that a nice thing? Those are honest, simple, sentimental, solid things. That's I right. like that, yeah. Well, I don't know, though, Bing. You know, they still write sentimental tunes. I, I heard a real mushy song the really? other night. Really? Gushy and everything? Yeah, it was just dripping sentiment. What was that? How could you believe me when I said I loved you when you know I've been a liar all my life? <laughs> And then on the other hand, we have if. <laughs> well, I guess that's the long and short of it, all oh, right. Oh, you come up with something then. <laughs> Say, how could you believe me uh, when I said I believe, loved you oh. when you knew I'd been alive? That tune doesn't sound sentimental to me. Well, you just got a persecution call. Is that it? <laughs> Maybe so, but it's a great boy and girl number, Judy. Fred Astaire and Jane Powell. They do it real good in that uh, MGM picture, Royal Wedding. I know, Bing. You know, that song was originally written for me. Oh, were you going to be in Royal Wedding out at MGM? Mm hmm I was before Leo the Lion bit me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's an old lion, Leo. His, his teeth are all gone. <laughs> he sure's got sharp gums. <laughs> <laughs> Say, I mean, that old critter up and gums you? 
Oh, Tell you what, Judy, let's you and I do How Could You Believe Me, etc. Viz, I.E., Viz, and C footnote, huh? Tell him. Yeah, you, you be Harry the Heel and I'll be Judy the Jill. Oh, that's a couple of characters. Okay, babe. All right, start it off, Heel. Yeah, I can remember it. How could you believe me when I said I love you When you know I've been a liar all my life You've had that reputation since you was a youth You must have been insane to think I'd tell you the truth How could I believe you when you said we'd marry Why, you know I'd rather hang than have a wife I know I said I'd make you mine Now wouldn't you know that I would go for that old line uh, How could you just believe me when I said I love you When you know I've been a liar You sure have been a liar Oh, a bald-faced liar Oh, a double-crossing liar Oh, my doggone cheating liar You said you would love me long Did I say that? I must have been unconscious And never would do Say, release the fabric, will you, babe? You're bending my Faithful best suit. Faithful, you'd always be. Oh, me? Oh. Why, baby, you must be loony to trust a lower than low two-timer like me. <laughs> Pretty low, too, isn't it? You said I'd have everything. Take this chick. You're out of your American A mind. beautiful diamond ring. Diamond ring? I haven't a change of a match. A bungalow Bungalow, yes, you are. But you're really naive to ever believe a full of baloney phony like me. Oh, boy, I sure must have lost my head. You can't lose nothing you ain't never had. Oh, what about the time you went to Indiana? I was lying, I was down in Alabama. You said you had some business you had to complete. Oh, oh, what I was doing, I would be a cad to repeat. About the evenings you was with your mother I was romping with another honey lamb To think you swore our love was real Baby, leave us not forget I'm such a heel <laughs> How could I believe you when you said you loved me When you know I've been a liar A good-for-nothing liar Oh, my good-for-nothing Well, if you don't want to get married, we could at least get engaged. Nah, I don't want to go steady. How do you mean you don't want to go steady? You haven't missed a meal in my house in six years. Yeah? Yeah. Now listen, Harry the Heel. Why, <laughs> why don't we try being engaged? And if at the end of three months you don't like it, I'll call off the engagement. I'll leave you. Okay, so we're engaged. Well, now we're engaged. And I'll have to have a beautiful diamond ring. A beautiful diamond ring? Oh, honey, won't an Elgin American compact do? No. I don't think I'm an American, but I want a ring. <laughs> okay. And just to make things look good, I think, I think we should buy a lot in case we ever want to build a bungalow by the sea. Mmm, Judy, gee, that's where I first met you. Down at the beach. <laughs> the grunion we're running, I caught you in a bucket. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget that night. Remember all those drive-in restaurants we went to? Yeah. We drove through everyone in town and then went to my house for chow. 
Gee, I'll never forget our first kiss in front of the gas stove in your kitchen. You really jumped. Yeah, I backed into the pilot line. Oh. <laughs> now I'll need some more money for a trousseau. We don't need no fancy foreign car. We can drive your old man's Essex. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to announce a passage of time three months later. Well, that's it. Aloha. Finish. I've had enough. Our engagement is off, Judy. Oh, yeah? Now, wait a minute, Buster. Not so fast. Give me the diamond ring. Come on. By an odd coincidence, you ain't getting nothing back. (laughs) I can't understand how I ever got trapped like this. I believed in you. I even believed you when you said you'd leave me. You did? Yes. How could you believe me when I said I'd leave you when you know I've been a liar all my life? Well, you had that reputation since you was a youth. You must have been insane to think I'd tell you the truth. How could I believe you when you said you'd leave me? Well, you know I'd rather hang than let you go. You know I said I'd set you free. Now who'd have thunk this dame would make a sap out of me? How how, how could you believe me when I said I'd leave you when you know I've been a liar? You sure have been a liar. A double-crossing liar. Big double-crossing liar. Oh, my doggone number. Good for nothing. Oh, uh, uh, Judy, while you're here, did you know that Chesterfield has the world's newest and most modern cigarette factories? Well, And did you know Chesterfield has the world's newest and most modern tobacco research laboratory? Yes, I certainly... The best in industry, the best in science, to make what we honestly believe is the best cigarette for you and every smoker. Well, I... You just take our factory in Durham, North Carolina. It's as up-to-date as my lady's new Easter bonnet. And clean, why, it's clean as a whistle. And air-conditioned straight through. Yes, the weather in the factory is controlled so that every single Chesterfield will be the same, always fresh and perfect wherever you buy it. Uh, look, fellas... And that I, new I, research lab, I tell you, there's nothing like it in existence. That's the place where scientists are always checking to make sure that Chesterfield is the best cigarette any smoker can buy. And they say us girls are gabby. <laughs> well, what you boys are trying to say is this. Remember how they're made, and you'll always buy Chesterfield. Oh, you're so right, Judy. Chesterfield has what every smoker wants. Mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. So always... Buy Chesterfield, Chesterfield, the one that proves its case. Yes, Chesterfields are milder, milder, plus no aftertaste. So hold, open a pack and give them a sniff, then you'll smoke them. Okay, John, roll it. Peggy Lee sold me a song the last time she was on the show. At least she sang it so beautifully, I just had to have a go at it. Oh, for just the chance to love you. Would I love you, love you, love you. To take you in my arms has always been my goal. Sure as there's a moon above you Would I love you, love you, love you With all my heart and soul With all my heart and soul You ask me 
But I love you if you let me Eyes that see your eyes that know Would I love you? What a question When I'm yearning so Over just the chance to love you Would I love you, love you, love you Take you in my arms Has always been my goal Sure as there's a moon above you Would I love you, love you, love you With all my heart and soul With all my heart and Yes, sir, that is it for tonight. That represents the sum and substance of our effort tonight. My thanks to Les Paul, Mary Ford, and to Judy Garland for joining with us this evening. Well, who's going to be with you next week, Bing? I thought you might come back again next week, Judith. Well, that's very nice. Well, I think so. I think it'd be jolly. <laughs> So we see you next week, Judy, huh? Thanks, folks. Good night. See you next week for Chesterfield, the best cigarette for years to smoke. The Bing Crosby Show, presented by Chesterfield, was produced and transcribed in Hollywood by Bill Morrow and Myrtle McKenzie. Tune in next week and hear Bing and his guest, Miss Judy Garland. The blue of the night meets the gold of the day. Someone waits for me. Music Hall with Bing Crosby, John Scott Trotter and his orchestra and chorus, the magic piano fingers of radio Eddie Duchin, the charioteers, and Bing's cohort, the man who came here clean from Santa Anita, Frank Morgan. And here's Bing Crosby himself. Himself? That was 12 years ago. Are you kidding? There's a doctor living in your town. There's a lawyer and an Indian too. Neither doctor, lawyer, or Indian chief Could love you any more than I do There's a barrel of fish in the ocean And a lot of little birds in the blue Neither fish nor fowl, says the wise old owl Could love you any more than I do No, no, it couldn't be true Anyone else could love you like I do And confidentially I confess I sent a note to the local press That I'll be changing my home address for you Why don't you follow through? Tell the doctor stick to his practice 
Tell the lawyer to settle his case Send the Indian chief and his tomahawk Back a little rain in the face Cause you know, no, no, it couldn't be true True that is That anyone else could love you like I do Nice, Mr. C. You're sweet to say so, mm -hmm. Kenneth. Say, Bing, didn't I read that you're doing a picture at Paramount called Welcome Stranger? Yes, Ken. Barry Fitzgerald and I go before the cameras shortly. Mm -hmm. I play the part of a doctor. Oh, uh, a singing doctor? Oh, now, Ken, I've heard of singing waiters and singing commercials, but never a melodious medical. No. Well, hi, fellas. Hi, well, Mr. Duchin, I believe. Dish, boy, dish. You're well, in here. Um, I heard you talking about a singing doctor. Sounds like a great idea. You can actually diagnose ailments with a song. I can? How's this? How well, if a little girl came into your office with the measles, you'd simply call her mother and sing, June is busting out all over. Oh, well, I like that. And a lad with mumps, you'd sing, thou swell. Well, you're building, aren't you? You got any more ideas how to sing for yourself, Ed? Oh, I got a million of them. If you saw Marie McDonald eating a piece of fish, what song would it remind you of? Uh, Marie McDonald eating a piece of fish? Now, what song would that be? Body and Soul? Oh, no. <laughs> Give that man an empty box of Milky Ways. <laughs> well, you see, she's known as the body, and the fish she's eating is filet of salt. If she'd ordered halibut, we'd have been dead, wouldn't we? <laughs> Look, you're going to play the piano, you're going to cast those clinkers around here for 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> yes, Bing, it's... Huh? I'm going to play a medley well, of two old favorites. Well, thank heaven. Penthouse Serenade and Paper Moon. Goody. <laughs>
thank you, Eddie. That was a mighty lush treatment, as always. I guess my next chanson, Symphony, is probably much better suited to the talents of Jean Sablon than to my royal delivery, but Jean, unfortunately, is not immediately available, so I should like to attempt it after Mon Ami hits you with a pitch about Les Grosseries. <laughs> And the folks at your house had a chance to taste all seven of the delicious Kraft cheese spreads. Each one is so good, so wholesome, and so handy, it's a wise homemaker who keeps a little assortment in the refrigerator. A wise woman who discovers which ones are her family's most special favorites. The creamy kinds are Kraft pimento, olive pimento, pineapple, and Kraft relish spreads. The very names suggest what Kraft adds to each rich, smooth-spreading variety. But you have to taste them to know how good they are. And then there's Roca spread for folks who love foreign-type cheese, Golden Old English for cheddar lovers, and Kraft Limburger spread that's always a favorite with the men. Explore the good eating all seven of these quality Kraft cheese spreads give your folks. Tomorrow, get several varieties of Kraft cheese spreads. <laughs> Symphony of love Music from above How does it start? You walk in And the song begins Singing violins Start in my heart Then you speak The melody seems to rise Then you sigh It sighs and it softly dies Symphony Sing to me Then we kiss And it's clear to me When you're near to me You are my symphony
and it's clear to me when you're near to me you are my symphony my And here comes my favorite vocal group, the Charioteers, and one more dream. Wilfred? Last night I met the sweetest gal a guy could ever meet. Just the moment that she touched my hand, she swept me off of my feet. And as I fell, I soon could tell I had her falling too. Oh, and even though it was a dream, I don't mind telling you. One more dream. And she's mine. One more dream. Oh, baby, she's mine. But it waits, I and methinks she'll be mine. Tell them. Had her hooked. Things look fine. But she slipped. Right off the line. One more dream. One more dream. And she's mine. One more dream, one more dream For he waits and he thinks she'll be mine I had her hooked, but she slipped One more dream, one more dream, and she's mine Well, was in the park the other day at five or thereabout I ran around in circles just to tire myself out. I fell asleep beneath a tree upon a leafy bed. Up, I cupped it down and woke me up, and this is what he said. One more dream, she's mine. One more dream, she's mine. Let me dream, 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 dream. I'm dreaming she's mine. I had a hooked Things look fine. But she slipped off the line. One more dream, 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 dream. Dreaming she's mine. One more dream. One more dream. For he waits and he thinks she'll be mine. I had her hooked, but she slipped. One more dream. One more dream. And she's mine, 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 mine. there, boys. But we must be alert to the present, ever watchful, for here it comes, zooming across the sky with the speed of light. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Oh, it's Frank Morgan. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Bingaroo. <laughs> and might I say that your description is quite appropriate for a man like myself, who just flew from New York to California in four hours? Uh, un moment, Francois. Pourquoi? Oh, s'il vous plaît, un moment. Oh, shall we according go to my, According to my form sheet here, it takes the Constellation over seven hours to make that flight. Now, yeah. you just came in three hours ahead of the plane. I know. <laughs> I was anxious to meet that red-headed waitress at the airport. <laughs> oh, yes. 
Myrtle, the Bergman of the baked Alaska. I know he's a grand girl, but I fear, Frank, if you continue with your trifling in affairs d'amour... Oh. I'm ready tonight, then. <laughs> you're going to get slapped in the kisser with a very fancy lawsuit. And I'd gladly welcome such an opportunity to then demonstrate my unexcelled ability as the country's outstanding trial lawyer. You're a lawyer? Why didn't you tell me when I was involved with the craft people there a while back? You used your talents. Put on some Max Factor 28 and you walk in the courtroom, they never know. Darken you down a little? Who would know? We got to win. Are you joking, Ipso Fatso? <laughs> Ipso Fatso. Facto. Uh, for years, I was the only legal practitioner who was permitted to sign his name, Frank Morgan, Barrister Extraordinaire. Uh -huh. You understand my French is I'm... a little better. Uh, judge Advocate and YFM. What's YFM? Your father's mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Why did O'Melveny let me get involved in this? <clears throat> After leaving law school, I was forced to start my career as a lawyer in a very humble fashion and shared offices with two other men. Yeah. On the door, the lettering read, Kildare, Morgan, and Sitting Bull. Kildare, Morgan, and Sitting Bull. Yes, Dr. Lawyer, Indian Chief. <laughs> <laughs> While seated in my office one morning, I was going over some briefs when a man rushed in and said, Lawyer Morgan. Yes, what is it? You defended my son in court for jaywalking. Yes? You bribed the jury, fixed the judge, bought off the witnesses, produced false evidence, and my boy was sent to prison for life. <laughs> and now you send me a bill for $20,000. You're lucky. It might have been worse. But how? You could have hired a shyster. <laughs> Suddenly realizing that I was due in court, I rushed there and was going over my notes when my assistant, Moffat, leaned over and offered... Say, Mr. Morgan, why don't you have your client plead insanity? <laughs> I tried that before. In one case, I had the brilliant idea of having a man plead insanity and say he was a fish. Did the judge believe it? <laughs> yes. They sent him up the river and put him in the can. <laughs> Continuing with the current trial in my own brilliant style, I defended the man to the end of the case, and after making my closing speech, I was convinced that he'd go scot-free. Visiting him later in the death row, <laughs> I tried to console him by saying, I'm sorry, my man. You've been sentenced to life on Devil's Island, crushing stones 20 hours a day with nothing to eat but bread and water. And he replied, That's all right, Mr. Morgan. I can go away happy now. You can? Why? Because Gable's back and Garson's got him. <laughs> Giving him two passes to the MGM picture adventure, I went on my way determined not to let this setback in any way deter my career. Accepting another case, I immediately took it to court. Standing before the judge, I said, I represent the law firm of Zombie, 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 and Crawl. What do you mean, crawl? Well, after three zombies, you gotta crawl. <laughs> this case involved an element of suicide, and having a flair for the dramatic, I called a witness and said, Hey, you there, come here. The, uh, Mr. Morgan? Yes. As my witness, I want you to take this loaded gun and prove that a man can shoot himself in the back of the head with his left hand. Okay, I'm your witness. <laughs> Does anyone else have a witness? <laughs> Not waiting for the spirit to move, 
I left the courtroom and was passing through the jail when the warden pointed out man as the country's number one public enemy. Going up to him, I said, my man, what was the dastardly crime that made you the hated enemy of all society? And he replied... I wrote the words to Chickory Chick. <laughs> Hitting him across the head with Balaka Walaka. They arrested me for disturbing the peace, and I myself was forced to stand trial. Later on that Frank, year, now, I... Wait, I, I now, just a minute. Wait, I, what happened when you what? were brought to trial there, Francois? Well, I used an old trick. Mm -hmm. I hired an elderly lady to appear as my mother to gain the sympathy of the judge. Taking the stand, she looked up with tears in her eyes and said, I plead as a mother, your honor, have mercy on Frank Morgan. I'm the one who brought him into the world. What happened? She got 90 days. <laughs> so long! Wait a minute, here. Very vivid and interesting account of your legal activities, Frank, but let's take a recess from court. Discuss your forthcoming recess from the old craft music hall. Well, Bing, I'm taking a slight vacation, but I'll be back in the hall from time to time <laughs> for that cheese yes. to pay you a visit. You a cheddar lover? <laughs> <laughs> the door is always ajar for you, Frank, so with a deep bow of gratitude for carrying on here so nobly and a promise to dig you later, shall we say au revoir? Hmm? Thank you, Bing. Oh, so long. <laughs> right. Hey, Eddie. A couple of weeks ago, we essayed a piano-vocal combo without anything too maladroit taking place. Do you want to have another whirl at uh, that song, I Can't Begin to Tell You? Well, we'll go down swinging together. Going down with the good man, Eddie, if I go down with you. Whenever we're apart But when you're near The words I choose Refuse to leave my heart So take the sweetest phrases The world has ever known and make believe I've said them all to you.
pretty speeches Whenever we're apart But when you're near The words I choose Refuse to leave my heart So take the sweetest phrases The world has ever known And make believe I've said them all to you. My good friend Perry Como, he of the luscious tones and the ingratiating personality, is responsible for reviving a great song, I'm Always Chasing Rainbows, which is our closing number tonight. But first, here's a man in a mood to talk about food. Have you homemakers ever counted up all the different ways the famous Kraft cheese spreads can help you? There are seven different varieties of these wonderful spreads. Say you're planning a Washington birthday party tomorrow. The Kraft cheese spreads can save you all sorts of bother with fancy appetizer trays. But a second help is with unplanned parties, the kind that just happen in a hurry. Then set out some crackers, some Kraft cheese spreads, and let everybody make his own snacks. Help number three, add swank to a simple dinner. Start off with tomato juice and celery stuffed with an olive pimento cheese spread. Or if it's the salad that needs perking up, just add a spoonful of the zestful Kraft relish spread. A fifth help is a quick dessert, roca spread or Old English and crackers with the after-dinner coffee. Number six is hearty luncheon sandwiches. And help number seven, Kraft cheese spreads ready in the icebox whenever anybody at your house wants a wholesome snack. So tomorrow, get several varieties of Kraft cheese spreads. Chasing rainbows, watching clouds drifting by. My schemes are just like all my dreams, ending in the sky. Fellas look and find the sunshine I always look and find the rain Some fellas make a winning sometimes I never even make a game Chasing rainbow, waiting to find a little bluebird in vain. I'm always chasing rainbow. 
look and find the sunshine I always look and find the rain Some fellas make a winning sometime I never even make a game I'm always chasing rainbows Waiting to find a little bluebird Dead aim on you next week, same time, same place. Adios. We'll be back next week with our guests, Martha Tilton and Jerry Colonna, and your favorite and ours, Bing Crosby. Good night, everybody. Another Kraft quality food product that's sure to add flavor sparkle to your meals is Kraft Salad Mustard. This tangy golden salad mustard is prepared to Kraft's own special recipe. It's a creamy, smooth blend of choice mustard seed, fragrant spices, and mellowed aromatic vinegar. And remember, this delicious salad mustard can be used in foods and on them with taste-tingling results. If you're looking for a mustard to please sharper tastes, you'll also want to buy the Kraft mustard with snappy horseradish added. Ask for both of these delicious Kraft mustards when you shop tomorrow. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. And here comes our star-studded show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents the Fritz Chrysler Victor Jacoby operetta, Apple Blossoms. Starring Gordon McRae and his two guests, Dorothy Kirsten and Francis X. Bushman. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and the music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight another big musical hit is brought to you by the American Railroads. The same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now here is our star, Gordon McRae. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, sir, tonight the lovely Metropolitan Opera soprano Dorothy Kirsten and Francis X. Bushman join me in the romantic operetta Apple Blossoms. As the curtain rises, you are the invited guests at a wedding just about to take place on a large Long Island estate. Time to leave for the church. I know, Uncle George. You intend to wear a sad face like that to your wedding? Do you expect me to look happy when you're forcing me to marry someone I don't love? But this is a wonderful match. 
two charming young people, your steel mills, Phillips coal mines, uh, what could be more ideal? It's a real love match. But, Uncle George... I have your bouquet downstairs made of apple blossoms, just as you asked. Why, well, I wonder if you wanted apple blossoms. I'll never know, but you wanted them and you got them. Oh, I don't really care whether I carry apple blossoms or not now. I wanted apple blossoms when I thought I was going to marry Dickie. He told me they were supposed to be very lucky. <laughs> they are. You're lucky to get Phil instead of Dickie. I'll get down and see if the car is ready, and you come right down. We've got to hurry. Hurry. Julie, have you ever been in love? Oh, hundreds of times. How do you know? How can you be sure? Go, Miss Nancy. It would never do to be late for your wedding. No, it would never do to be late for my wedding. Well, Phil, it's all over now. You're so right, Uncle George. You signed me to a lifetime sentence. <laughs> How does it feel to be a married man? Well, it's a little early to tell, isn't it? Huh? But as far as I'm concerned, it isn't going to make too much difference. Just what do you mean by that? Well, you see, Uncle George, it's it's like this. Oh, where is the man who is glad to bow to the plan That he give up all of his life to his wife from his wedding day? Why should he try when he can forget with a sigh all his old loves? Ask any man for the truth and he will say I love the girls, girls, girls just the same And being wet cannot kill the flame There is the same old charm in flirtation With a maid 
half afraid. And when she looks at me with a smile, I know it's girls make life worth the while. Now I must leave them, forget them, but love them, a husband I. Little girl, goodbye. I love the girls, girls, girls just the same. And when she looks at me with a smile, I know it's girls make life worth the while. Now I must leave them, forget them, but love them. So My boy, I'm sure you and Nancy will be very happy. Oh, now, Uncle, you think you can be happy when you're married to one girl and in love with another? Hello, Uncle George. Hello, Phil. Well, I think I'll go in the other room, see what all those charming young people are up to myself. Certainly was a lovely wedding. <laughs> I suppose we should join the others, too. After all, it's our wedding party, and we, we ought to try to enjoy it. Nancy, why did you marry me? Uncle George said it was my duty. And, oh, he gave me a lot of reasons. Why'd you marry me? Well, most of the same reasons. <laughs> Except Uncle George had an extra gimmick where I was concerned. He's my guardian. He threatened to have me disinherited. Isn't it awful to be rich? Poor people can marry the people they're in love with. Were you in love with someone, too? Well, frankly, yes. A boy named Dickie Stewart. We were engaged. Were, were you in love, too? Mm. <laughs> Very charming young widow named Ann Merton. Why didn't you marry her? Uncle George says she wasn't eligible. Oh. Didn't have any steel mills. <laughs> Dickie Stewart didn't have any coal mines. I know what you mean. Is he attractive? Oh, very. How about her? Mm. Beauty. Real beauty. Well, I certainly wouldn't want to come between you. Oh, no, no, no. Well, I, I don't want to come between you and Stuart, either. Of course, it won't make any difference to me if you want to go on seeing her. It won't? No. Well, I'll say that's doggone broad-minded of you. <laughs> you go ahead and see him if you want to. After all, I don't want you to feel that you're being trapped or anything. You're perfectly free to do as you please. Well, thanks. And so are you. Free as the birds in the air, eyeing with never care. Wandering about like the evening breeze through the trees where we please. Follow our whims while we
just a game that two are playing. Love is nothing but a game of chance. For the one who chooses a very often loses. Love is never sure to be romantic. inside with the guests. Well, you'd better go right in. And, uh, and uh, Mrs. Merton is asking for you, Mr. Campbell. Well, seems that both our fiancés are here. Shall we join them? By all means. <laughs> Turn with the second act of Apple Blossoms in just a moment. Did you ever see a defense plant on wheels? Well, that's exactly what you do see every time you watch a freight train go by. For railroad transportation is an essential part of all defense industry. Yes, freight cars are just as necessary as the raw materials they gather from the far corners of the country and carry to our defense plants. Locomotives are necessary to move tanks and planes from factory to depot, training camp, and embarkation point. For America cannot produce or use more of anything than can be hauled. That means if our needed for our national defense, railroad carrying capacity must increase right along with it. Since the end of World War II, the railroads have spent a billion dollars a year on their own preparedness program. They have bought hundreds of thousands of new freight cars and locomotives, Tracks, terminals, signals, and shops have been modernized or expanded by this billion-dollar-a-year program. The railroads have increased their efficiency and built up their strength all along the line, and they are continuing to do so. For example, the railroads now have on order more than 154,000 new freight cars, enough to keep the car builders at full capacity for the next 15 months. The railroads' vast improvement and expansion program is an essential part of America's rearmament effort. For there is no way in which the nation's transportation capacity can be expanded so quickly and with such economy of manpower and materials as by adding to the locomotives and freight car fleet of the railroads. Yes, the railroads are truly defense plants on wheels. And in order that they may serve our rearmament and commerce most effectively, 
it is vital that they have access to the materials they need and a chance to earn adequate revenues for the service they perform. And now here is the second act of Apple Blossoms, starring Gordon McRae and his guest star, Miss Dorothy Kirsten. Oh, Phil, thank goodness you're here. Have you forgotten about the masquerade ball we're giving tonight? People will be arriving any minute. Well, I don't have anything but put on a mask. Say, uh, that's quite a dress you're wearing. Thank you. Were you with, uh, with her all afternoon? Yes, I was with her all afternoon. Is she coming tonight? Mm Mm-hmm. She'll be here. How about him? Yes, He's coming. Ought to be quite a party. Come in. Hey, aren't you two ready yet? Oh, hello, Uncle George. Hey, your guests are beginning to arrive. We're coming. Phil, Nancy, my conscience has been bothering me. I don't want to make you two young people unhappy. I'm going to arrange for you to get a divorce, Nancy. A divorce? Yes. Then you can marry Dickie and Phil can marry Anne. Well... We don't want to rush into anything like a divorce. No, no, no. That would take a lot of thought, Uncle George. I I don't approve of divorce. Well, it may be the best thing in this instance. Come on now. We'd better join the guests. Very well. You know, Uncle George, you seem to think that Dickie's the great love in my life. Well, that's what you gave me to understand a few weeks ago. Well, I was a child then. You mean Dickie's becoming like a a brother to you? Good heavens, no. I haven't used that one since I was in boarding school. (laughs) Boarding school? What went on in that boarding school? Well, whenever a boy came to visit us, we had to pretend he was our brother. Remember, girls, how many brothers we had in boarding school? (laughs) When your mother says that you can't go, Certain man. Did you obey? Or did you go on and play? Why, of course I thought till I hit upon any simple little plan. Then down the street, away from home we'd meet. Then sad but true, you'd say your brother met you. There are hundreds of brothers. Look strange to their mother. Every girl must have one or two. Some may have three. For there's many a sister says was brother who kissed her. But no such place as that kiss belongs in a family. There are hundreds of brothers. Long to your 
Nancy! What are you doing out here on the balcony? Uncle George, something terrible's happened. What? I've fallen in love with my husband. Well, that's wonderful. But he isn't in love with me. Huh? He's in love with that hideously attractive widow that he's following around there. Mm. See? Through that glass. There he is. Uh, with all those young men in masks, I can't tell one from the other. Oh, Uncle George, remember when you gave the masquerade ball a few years ago? I went as a Spanish senorita and Phil was a toreador. We danced together all that evening. Many years ago with the widow. It's Dickie. Dickie? Are you sure? I just saw him take off his mask. And believe me, I couldn't be mistaken about that face. Hmm. Why don't you go in and tell him that you don't want to marry him? That you intend to stay married to Phil? I will tell him. It's the only fair and honest thing to do. Now, good luck, my dear. Dickie? Dickie? There's something I've got to tell you. I can't go on any longer like this. I thought I was in love with you, but I'm not. I'm in love with my husband. 
This is goodbye, Dickie. And I... I do hope I haven't hurt you too much. Nancy. Well, now, Dickie, I think you've been given your walking papers. So walk. I'm not Dickie. I'm Phil. <laughs> well, now, what do you know about that? Uh, did Nancy... Nancy thought I was Dickie. Uh, and she told me she wanted to break it off with me, that she was in love with her husband. Uh, Uncle George, she's in love with her husband. She's in love with me. <laughs> she spoke to me of love with words I prize all else above. Yet hardly I believe my senses now. For that the past she may redeem I stand as in a dream I'm in love with the one girl for me I'm as happy as man ever could be She's divine, she's mine Now at last I discover that I am her lover There's nothing can keep us apart For I know she's the girl of my heart Now I'll quickly forget all the others That I love alone with a girl that I love for my own. Well, Phil, my boy. I'm sure Nancy would enjoy hearing that. Careful, Uncle George. Here's Nancy now. Uncle George, I can't find Phil any place. <laughs> Take off your mask, Dickie. You devil, you. Phil! Nancy, darling. Oh, Phil, was it you I just, I just spoke to? Yes, darling, it was. Why didn't you say so? You never gave me a chance. And I was very glad you didn't when I heard you say you were in love with your husband. Because by a, a very strange coincidence, I happen to be madly in love with my wife. Oh, Phil. Well, if you two will excuse me, and I'm sure that you will, I'll go see how Dickie and Anne are making out. Because just between you and me and the lamppost, they've been dancing together all evening. <laughs> Phil. Oh, Phil. The apple blossoms turned out to be lucky after all, didn't they? Lucky? Lucky for both of us.
you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Dorothy Pearson will be back in just a moment. And thanks to Francis X. Bushman, Isabel Jewell, and our entire company. Apple Blossoms with book and lyrics by William Lee Barron and music by Fritz Chrysler and Victor Jacoby was adapted for radio by Gene Holloway. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by the American Railroads. Today, as America's rearmament program gains momentum, the need for railroad transportation increases. To meet that demand, the railroads are energetically working to improve and expand every part of their operation. Again this year, just as they have for the past five years. The railroads are spending another billion dollars of their own money toward the end that there will be no limit or delay in the movement of the men and material required for our national defense. And now here again is lovely Dorothy Kirsten. <laughs> Dorothy, thanks for a wonderful performance in Apple Blossoms. You know, there's no one we'd rather have around here in the springtime, or as a matter of fact, any time. <laughs> Thank you, Gordon. But, you know, I did this show with you last spring, too, and I've been wondering whether those apple trees don't ever bear fruit. Oh, sure. A couple of years later, Phil and Nancy have a son, and they name him Jonathan, and they live in a rainy climate. <laughs> so they, uh, they all wear Macintoshes. Oh! <laughs> My northern spies tell me that next week on the Railroad Hour, you're doing the fortune teller with Nadine Connor as your guest. Think of an answer for that, you big apple polisher. <laughs> well, Dorothy, you've got me there. You're right about the fortune teller, and we hope all our friends will be listening. And the only other thing that I can say is that you were delicious tonight. Wow! Night, <laughs> Dottie. All aboard! Well, dear friends, it looks as though we're ready to pull out, and so until next week, this is Gordon McRae saying goodbye. <laughs> Apple Blossoms was presented by Special Arrangement with Tam's Whitmark Music Library. Gordon McRae can currently be seen starring in Warner Brothers' West Point story. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is prepared and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the American Railroads. Now stay tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC. Hear Eleanor Steber on the voice of Firestone. It's on NBC.